On this episode of the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, we kick off the show by giving our marquee picks for our favorite foreigners in film and TV history. Then we move on to the feature movie Borat 2, and we answer questions like, is Sasha Baron still funny? Is this movie worth watching? Well, listen up to find out, and then we spin the wheel for a little bit of fun at the end and give our ratings for the movie. So, let's go! And welcome to the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the movie review show that's spreading its hot tape tentacles all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. I'm Matthew Scott, and always I'm joined by my good friends, Mr. Preston Pokey Barnes in Oakland, California. How are you doing, Preston? Right on, fellas. Doing well. And moving on, we've got Mr. Joe Fine in New Orleans. How you doing, Joe? Hello out there in Podland. How you doing? <laughs> And last but not least, we got Mr. Budge Husky in Washington, D.C., who's going to give us the best, best takes of all tonight. How you doing, Budge? Doing well, lads. Good evening. I'm reporting to you live from the streets here where they're just passing out medical grades to the Civ Asylum that has passed. <laughs> all right. So tonight we are going to review Borat 2, which just came out on Amazon Prime uh, about a couple of weeks ago. But before we do that, we always want to encourage all, all our loyal listeners or new listeners, if you enjoyed the show, please go and give us a five-star review or any type of review on iTunes. It really helps us out, helps us get new subscribers, helps us bump up the list on the iTunes playlist. So please go do that. Before we get into Borat 2, the new Sasha Baron Cohen movie, we're going to do our marquee picks as usual. And this week we are doing our favorite foreigners in film and TV. So that could be foreign to any type of thing, anachronisms, any type of foreign person in any type of environment to kick us off. We're going to have Mr. Budge Husky kick us off with his favorite three foreigners. Go for it, Budge. Uh, so, guys, I thought this was a little difficult, personally. Um, so I tried to kind of rein it in a little bit on myself. So I, I kind of did it like best foreign characters in movies or television, uh, in American movies or television. So number three, I'm clocking in at a, a classic from our childhood and one that was on syndication. But that would be Fez from that 70s show. Also, oh, a lot of people didn't know Fez stood for foreign exchange student. It wasn't his name. Um, yeah, Fez. Fez. Wilmer, Wilmer Valderrama, classic role. It's always played after school on FX. I can remember it vividly. Classic. Where is he now? <laughs> I don't know. Was on Punk, maybe, or was that just Ashton Kutcher? I think he's still in that basement. <laughs> the, uh, the, the pod mother, Tammy, loves the seven show. So. <laughs> I, I that will, is great. I will, I will say this. Did y'all ever like, did y'all see the end of that show? Like, did anybody ever make it to the end? I don't think I did. No, no. we're lightness, though. Do y'all know who Fez ended up with? I think in real life he did Lindsay Lohan, but I doubt that no, was on the show. In the show, he ended up with Jackie. Damn. Wait, yeah. That's right. Uh, uh, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. Mm-hmm. I do remember that, actually. Mary Tyson Butcher in real life. 
Well, I guess he must have grown some sort of like alpha male personality traits, or Jackie must have just been slumming it down low at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah don't remember the uh, that '70s show story arc <laughs> from season ten. I just, I just remember it always played in the background, and by the end, you kind of like got the. Uh, that's where it went. Yeah, Fez, Fez wound up starting a huge taco truck empire, and then Jackie became uh, hugely attracted to it. It took me a minute to realize that they were all sitting around in the basement in that circle smoking weed. I always thought it was like <laughs> incense or something that they were burning. No, I was so innocent back in the day. I, I don't even think I realized they were sitting in a circle. Well, I mean, technically yeah, they're around. Yeah. Going around you know. yeah. And I know, I know. Tommy Chong would always find his way into the circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, bud, let's go to your number two. Uh, my number two, I feel like someone else in this group may have it if they use the same um, rubric I did, but it'd be Fred Armisen as the creepy Italian guy in Eurotrip. Uh, <laughs> oh, Miss Susie. <laughs> That's really good. That's an excellent pick. Uh, Real Dark Horse pick right there. That's I, a- I thought you would have him, Joseph, because I think you might have seen that movie more than anyone I know. See, that's what upset me about this because I couldn't think of something like that, and I knew that it was out there. And that's one of those picks. That epic cameo that is just <laughs> you know, spot on. You know, I got to say this about Fred Armisen. He's one of the most like ethnically ambiguous people <laughs> ever play or like to be in in um, in the showbiz because like he can play any sort of race. He and he's, 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 he's from he's he, he, from Super Troopers. Yeah, like he can like, play Barack he, he Obama. Thinks he thinks you're Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he can play anything from Central American to Iranian. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, he, no, he did play Barack Obama and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, he played Obama. He played uh, like you remember that one? It it was like it's supposed to be like a Spanish like dancing like soap opera. Or no, it wasn't a soap opera. It was like some TV show, and he would always play the timbales, and he had like a catchphrase. Yeah, Portland. You brighten up the lights and put on some makeup, and he's perfectly, he's like white in Portlandia, too. Yeah. So, like, he, he really does. Like, he can do anything. All right, go ahead, Butch. You're number one. Uh, my number one is a little more serious, but uh, it would be Philip and Elizabeth Jennings from The Americans, or um, Matthew Reese and uh, what's her name? Felicity. Um, oh, damn it. Is this? Uh, the show, the American. What's her? What's the? I must really love this name? show. I mean, <laughs> the American. Hold on, let me pull. How? I'm gonna I? edit some of this out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, yeah. Eight, Hit eight pause. 30. Yeah, eight thirty, eight forty. Start back on this. Hold on, sorry, I gotta figure out her name. Just told Carrie Russell. All right. Yeah, Carrie oh, Russell. Yeah, that's what I just fucking <laughs> said. Uh, so yeah, let's. Yeah, I'll say no, my number three is going to be uh, Matthew Reese. Your number one. So go, say your number. Oh, yeah, one, number, sorry. I'm sorry. My number one will be Matthew Reese and uh, Carrie Russell as Phil and Elizabeth Jennings in the show The Americans on FX, which is a top five show. I don't know if anyone, any of you finished it, but it's one of the few that goes stay strong from beginning to end. Uh, that was worth all the awards they both won for their acting performances, and in it they played Russian sleeper agents living in the United States. So in that sense, they were foreign. It is definitely uh, on know, my list. Those, yeah, I feel like it's on everyone's list to finish. Joe, have you actually finished The Americans? Have you ever seen it? Because I've actually given it a shot, but it's one of those things where you, it's such an ambitious undertaking where you go, oh man, this is like six or seven seasons, and I just can't gravitate towards it. The have American, you seen it? I haven't because th- this is one of those th- miniseries that whenever I go and visit Budge, 
in the uh, the bunker in DC, he always whips out this like you know amazing miniseries that's right up my alley that I have no <laughs> idea exists. And you know, I'm just waiting for that day to come where he'll be like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna watch this." You know, we're not watching the football game tonight. Here, you know, we're about to dive so, in. So you're reserving the Americans just for Bud's personal time. Well, I mean, he's he he usually is as as you know on this podcast, he's got you know impeccable taste. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, no, absolutely. Bunch. I will reiterate the reason. Let's, let's just tell us what drew you to the Americans at first and what sucked you in. Sure. Well, th- I think the show is kind of intriguing because it takes place in like 1980 with the Ronald Reagan's election, but it, it it really happened in real life. I don't remember. I guess it sucked me in because I followed the story where uh, these Russian agents were found that had been living normal lives in the United States that had been brought over here. I guess as like kids or teenagers, their kids had no idea that they were spies and they were just living in like Northern Virginia. And they were in like high school. And it turns out both their parents had been spying for the Russian government. Now, this wasn't the Soviet era. This was in like 2008. Uh, and it might have been earlier than that. But I just remember following the story and kind of it was thought, thinking it was unique. And then it was announced that it had inspired this TV show that came out on FX. And I'm, I'm a pretty big FX, like especially back then, fan. Um, you know, I love like Justified, um, Fargo, any of those shows that come out there. I think they're a very underrated oh, cable network. Fargo is fantastic. But the Americans, you know, fill, uh, again, Phil and Elizabeth Jennings, they play Russian agents that were brought over here to pose as Americans. And they, they're just basically travel agents living in northern Virginia in like 1980. They've got kid in high school, kid in middle school. Kids have no idea that they are Russian spies. Neither does the ne- next door neighbor who's an FBI agent, which is kind of hence like where the where the story goes. But I will I will reiterate what I think makes this show a top five for most people that watch it is it starts really strong and ends almost just as strong. And I think that's really tough for a show to do over something like six seasons. So no Very weak tough. seasons, no, no shitty characters that sort of fill I mean, there, time. there might be a little bit of filler crap, but I will say it also is known for having some of the best music you'll ever hear, some of the best use of Fleetwood Mac I've ever heard. I will say that. That's mm. a strong point of FX series. They always nail the music. All right, so we're going to move on to Joe. Joe, your top three foreigners in film and TV. All right, I'm going to kind of echo Bud a little bit on this. It was really hard to narrow this down. So take the numbers on these three with a grain of salt. You know, they can be interchangeable. So don't get all you out there in Podland, especially in Canada out there. Don't get up in arms about my list here. Okay. All right. So number three, yeah, I'm going to go with um, Odd Job from Goldfinger. And he was played by Harold Sakata, a Korean actor. And I just remember him being just an epic bad guy villain of my childhood, you know, watching Goldfinger, you know, I think that was the second Bond film with uh, second Bond film overall and second with Sean Connery. So, you know, rest in peace to my man, but uh, just an epic, you know, flick of the bowler hat, snap somebody's neck. Always thought that was epic. Number two, this is where you really can flip it either one number one. So I'm, I'm going to discuss, also, uh, just to note odd job with a great golden eye character as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good to note that. Yes. Yeah. So we're okay. trying to transition into like getting gamer kids to listen to our show too. Actually, no, we, not that'd be that'd be like thirty year old grown men that grew yeah. up on Golden Eye. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we game on the podcast. Uh, no, we, we don't hate. Yeah. Uh, odd job in the N sixty four video game. It, it's one of those where it's like a Rorschach test. Like you 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 ask somebody about it and they they'll give you a completely different answer and you don't know like 
you know, like how is how it, it affects them or whatever, because like he is either the best or the fucking worst to them. Yeah. Because he, he, he either like complete you either miss him with the slaps and he, he ducks in there and slaps you a couple of times and gets you or and you can't. He's like such a he has such a small hitbox. It was either that or like or whoever you're playing with would make a rule at the beginning. Like, sorry, no odd job. No odd job. Yeah, no odd jobs. Yeah, no odd jobs. Yeah. yeah. No. It's like bullshit. That and like you, somebody would pick fucking Jaws, and Odd Job would come and like slap him in the dick a couple times, and like he couldn't do anything about it. And he would uh, throw throw the controller. Dick, dick slap, <laughs> dick slap death. Yeah. All right, go to your number two. Sorry. All right, so number two, I kind of you know since we're all Americans here, I, I kind of went you know against the grain and I picked Clark Griswold and the Griswolds in European vacation as one of my fucking favorite, you know, childhood, (laughs) you know, comedy movies with, um, gosh, um, hang on. Help me hit pause here, Matthew. What? Okay. So it's 15, 10. Uh, shit. What's his name? I can't think. I'm fucking blanking out. Chevy Um, Chase. Chevy Chase. Thank you. Yes. And Beverly D'Angelo, uh, so Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, uh, just uh, you know, amazing duo in all of the uh, National Lampoons that they were in together. But this one especially, when they go oversee the uh, the Griswold clan in Germany, just the, uh, the hijinks that they get up to are classic. And uh, I know all of you out there in Podland appreciate a good golden oldie. So <laughs> number one, uh, uh, we kind whoa, of... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, yeah. I want to get back to European vacation just for a minute. Um, yeah, absolutely. Also, very underrated part of that film is a epic set of tits. When oh yes, Rusty is at the like beer garden house, the beer garden, and like the German and the and the Durndal, like the beer wench. Oh yeah, buddy. <laughs> Did you say Durndal? Thanks for the memories on that. <laughs> <laughs> The, that, bank, bank, pal. Those tits are up there with the tits in Caddyshack, and gosh, what which other ones? Um, just like those movies where you know your parents finally let you watch them from when they were kids, and you were like, "All right, you know, you're finally going to get to see the you know the the topless chick in Caddyshack, and it's amazing." Dude, I remember seeing like watching the scene in Caddyshack with on VHS with like Lacey Underalls, whatever her name is, when she finally shows her tits. But it was on VHS, so like you had to like if your parents were gonna put it back in, I made sure to always like rewind it to the beginning so they didn't know like where I stopped and started it, if that makes sense. Cause like on VHS <laughs> it was always like it was like, Oh, okay, I'm done watching it. Like and I'll take it out. But you always said like, all right, end. And then restart. So that's something like this new generation will never, ever know. Actually, I guess maybe if you like watch something on digital, it always says resume. So they might know where you start and stop. So maybe they actually do know that it wouldn't be on like if you grew up with DVD. So if you grew up with VHS, you would absolutely know that. Um, all right. So, Joe, go go to your number one. I'm sorry. Yeah, the kids these days definitely have to deal with the uh, the charges on your video account for not rewinding the videos all the way. <laughs> you can rewind it, yeah, and hearing your dad bitch about that. So, um, my number one, and we alluded to this earlier about you know Budge's DC bunker up there. You know, watching the election <laughs> returns. You know, he's got he's got all the you know the good shit to watch. Is Gotti Becker in the Little Drummer Girl? He's an, an Israeli Mossad agent, 
and this is a mini series on AMC, um, and it, 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 it and it concerns the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the late '60s or kind of early '70s, and it, it's it's just a magnificent portrayal of you know method acting and real world spycraft where you actually have to become the terrorist or the person that you're trying to the group you're trying to infiltrate for it all to be fucking real and for them to actually believe this shit and for you to pull it off and uh alexander skarsgård who plays Gotti, just is a puppet master of being able to trans like transfigure himself into uh, this Palestinian guy who is, you know, the 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 bomb maker and the the plot to kill. He is like a mastermind of plots to kill Jews all over Europe. And so, Michael Shannon and the rest of the Mossad are tasked with finding them. And Gotti is just a master of running Florence Pugh, who ends up being the chick who is kind of the bait. Anyway can't recommend it highly enough and that's why it's my number one so little drummer girl. Uh, well, this is great because this, is, this yeah. is what i like doing this because i always get good recommendations to watch because i've never even heard of this but it sounds so, fantastic so a lot of our our longtime listeners of this pod will know that my initial appearance was a guest star on this show and we discussed uh john le Carre's tinker taylor soldier spy this is another john le Carre book that was recently it was adapted with diane keaton as a movie in the in the 80s i guess and then it was subsequently, like last year, just the year before, turned into a miniseries okay. on AMC. I think it's still streaming on AMC. Uh, and it star, it's got a great cast. I mean, it's Michael Shannon, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, Florence Pugh, um, and just some, and this all these recognizable faces that will immediately jump out. But I mean, the set pieces are just beautifully well done. And it's really more, again, I hate to be to be the John Lucari guy, but whereas Tinker Soldier Spy is the most <laughs> famous, like probably book and movie is one that people point to his books and stories classically are there's like a not necessarily a form but there is a formula it's like it takes somebody who is not really involved in you know spycraft or espionage and thrust them into it that's really the john lacare book and tinker tinker taylor soldier spy was not like that but little drummer girl is a classic example of this formula and this miniseries, what Joe is about six episodes, is excellent. I mean, it is is yeah, well done top to bottom. Well, damn, I might even just like stream the whole thing tonight later if I can find it. Uh, Preston, you got any thoughts on this? Because this is the first time I've heard of it, but I'm definitely interested. Well, yeah, both of their number one picks um, have led to me increasing my movie TV show list, <laughs> so, which is always great. Right, well, well worth your time. Actually, if you it, it is, you can watch it with your significant other if that's a chick. You know, she can, there, there's, you know, it's not so, you know, deep dive black and white into spy craft and all that nonsense that, you know, she's going to turn it off immediately. You know, it's, it's, it's well done. It's well shot, you know, it keeps you into it. And I think the episodes are around 45 minutes to an hour, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's an hour and a half, maybe it's 90 minutes. I, I, I can't remember, but it's, it, you know, it's an easy, you know, you can watch one or two episodes in a night and be like, all right, you know, I, I, I've got three more nights of this. Yeah. Like I can knock it out over Friday into Saturday, Sunday, that kind of deal. So yeah, very highly recommended. I think it's an, an excellent segment, Matthew, worth noting that uh, Michael Shannon stars in this is probably the main character outside of Florence Pugh, the main male protagonist, which would be a nice seg into our next week's film. Yeah. Uh, 
which will be Midnight Special. Well, uh, you just gave it away, but yeah. So the, the segue would the segue would be uh, well. It was on Preston's list to watch on TV, but what's Preston's list to his top fours? <laughs> so Preston, go with your top fours. Your number three. All right. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and let's see. Where's my list? Okay. Yeah, I think just like uh, Joe and Budge, I had a lot of different ideas for this, um, and I'm gonna keep it relatively basic except for my first pick my number three pick is um a foreigner from uh outside of our planet and that would be et um from broto uh, i think you pronounce it broto asogi asogi i think is how they said it et phone home um obviously a, a classic uh in my opinion it's actually not Spielberg's like best alien movie, but I think the character of E.T. is, I mean, it, it is one of those films, like every time I watch it, it I mean, it, it's, I'm so nostalgic about it and about the character and like it still brings like tears to my eyes at the end. I mean, it's just one of those powerful, uh, just like powerful cinema, like classics. I mean, like every time you watch it, whether it's the music, um, just uh, you know, the relationship between Elliot and E.T. I mean, it's it's just quintessential Spielberg and it will always be one of the great movies of all time. And obviously, E.T. is definitely a foreigner. Um, sorry, Matthew, you about to say something? No, go for it. Sorry. OK. Uh, I thought Matthew was going to mention that he was going to say on his list, he has Mac and me. He has Mac. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, like, it's actually kind of interesting that no one actually thinks of Spielberg as maybe sort of like a sci-fi director, but he actually has a huge amount of sci-fi stuff under his belt. Oh, for sure. That makes sense. What'd you say the E.T. species was called again? Uh, well, I know that the planet he's from, I can't remember the, the species necessarily. What's the name of the planet? Uh, I believe it's like Brodo Asoji or Sogai. So on Brodo Asoji, though... And- in um in the pre Star Wars prequels, they are represented in the uh, Galactic Senate. Um, if you notice, like in the background, it's kind oh. of one of the Easter eggs. Is <laughs> there? No it's shit. Stroke. Damn, Wilson. I'm definitely gonna have to look I'm that sure up now. You didn't know that, Matthew. That's wild. No, I would not know that. So no, but it's don't not try to nerd. Don't don't try to rope me into your nerd shit, Budge. Um. But yeah, no, go for it. Uh, I'm sorry. That's actually a really interesting though point. I, I re- Buzz, do you actually see them or like yeah, like clearly? Awesome. Yeah, you can pull it up. Um, you see them like the same way we see our friends you know, in Big Fish, like you know, just like a brief second. Exactly. You know how the Galactic Senate's in that big bubble and they all sit yeah. each, like each each planet has like a representative in the in like the little like uh, I don't know what you call them. They're kind of like floating saucers but yeah they like are at species is represented all right sorry go for your number two um all right let's see number two i'm just gonna go ahead and go with this uh well this is several of them but this is uh this character by virtue of his country but also by like displacement in time i'm going with austin powers and <laughs> you could also include fat bastard you could include gold member you can include pretty much a lot of those characters um I mean, I know, I know we've all seen this. Not much more to really say, but uh, probably he's the international man of mystery. He's the international man of mystery. Yeah, probably uh, Mike Myers' best character. I mean, he's had some really great classic characters, but uh, that one was kind of the gift that kept on giving for a little while. 
one of those things where like you reach your peak or like as an actor or let you first get your first big movie. I know he did. He had Wayne's World or whatever, but this one was all himself. He didn't have Dana Carvey and he got probably to cast everyone. And he was like, get me the hottest woman available. And he got Elizabeth Hurley, who was just smoking hot in that movie, which, oh, you know, like I, I just had to. Right, throw I was that Heather Graham. Always... And then Beyonce. The, the first one was, Heather, I mean, the first one was Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, yeah. Heather yeah. And then it but was they're Beyonce. All still high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all still incredibly attractive. I'm just saying, like, Elizabeth Hurley, she just does it for me all all the way. So go ahead, number yeah. one. Uh, all right, number one for me, I'm, I've got to go with uh, what we're what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm going with Borat and Ali G and or Bruno, but mainly from the, uh, the Ali G show back on HBO when we were a lot, a lot younger. Um, to me, those, like, some of those skits, in some of those scenarios, particularly for analogy would go through was like, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard as I mean, being young, but to this day, like sometimes I'll go back and watch some of these YouTube clips. I don't know if you all remember if you remember the one where uh, Borat is in Mississippi, I think, and he ends up getting like legit wine drunk with like a group of old, like an old gentleman club or something. And it's just you know, I, I can't really I couldn't really think of anything beyond that uh, as far as like my top pick, just because it it did like I really wanted to do something funny. And I mean, that's just like he's always made me laugh. It's always made me cringe. And he's always just been like the consummate prankster and has the balls of like a fucking bull to be going into some of these places and do what he does. It's one of those things that like, hey, it was it's it's incredibly admirable that he did this, but then he like did that in the past. But then when he got this massive amount of exposure and even sort of like meta pokes at it in this new movie, whatever, like in the sense that people recognize him. So he has to sort of change his appearance, whatever. But it's so crazy that back in those days when he was on those HBO things, maybe BBC or whatever, he could really get away with almost anything because no one knew what was coming at him and he could just sort of approach anybody and they'd all believe him, and he could really, really get, maybe the most honest responses. Now, I guess it becomes a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging because people sort of know what's coming. So he almost has to maybe approach it in a different way. But back then, like, I feel like those are the, I hate to use the word like raw or deep cuts or whatever, but the same sense, it's like, he really, I really do think those are really genuine moments when he got those people to say those things in those really early HBO days. Oh, for sure. I think that was what was so cool about is like he would obviously be doing comedy but i mean he would get interviews and he still is able to do it as we'll talk about more but like with very powerful people and people who like don't necessarily do interviews uh all that often i mean i think he got like uh newt gingrich one time i mean he's i mean he gets he's able to do that i think he got that with ali g i can't remember which one but yeah i just remember staying up late and watching those 30 minute episodes and just wondering like what the hell is going to happen now and uh I think a lot of people who've seen, you know, the Borat films probably aren't too familiar maybe with like the old stuff like that. I mean, that's what I'm talking about here. I I love the Borat movies, but that's necessarily ahead of its time. But it was definitely he was doing stuff that like no one else was really doing. Was 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 it Bruno? He came not the movie, but in character that he came to the Iron Bowl. Uh, It was. And he he interviewed. uh, Rashad Williams. Rashad Williams. Williams. Show. Show. And that was on the allergy show, but it was the Bruno character, I think. And he was, and he got with the, um, 
cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that one guy was so pissed off at him. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's, I, I had some other, other really good characters. Uh, we can talk about some honorable mentions after, but you know, it's, it's just, to me, it's hard to beat that. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to my top three. We'll go through these really quick. So my top three are going to be Mr. Weasley from the Harry Potter movies, just because his whole stick is that he's kind of like totally foreign and unfamiliar and fascinating with how normal people live. Number two is going to be Dinesh from Silicon Valley. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. I mean, not movie, but TV show on HBO. That's an awesome but it's not pick. really because of his character, but just because I love the episode and the joke from the, the episode where like he wears a gold chain. And Jared says that joke at the very end of it, because Jared is this like incredibly naive and sort of like innocent person. But they have to sort of go on with this joke about him wearing a gold chain. So Jared comes up with one and he says... Oh, Dinesh, do you choke your mother with it when you stick your penis in her butthole? And like he like trips over yeah. this like table. And like it really is like it's it's like the end of the episode and it like makes everyone choke and like fall on the floor. It's so and, out, uh, out of left field and they're all like, what the fuck, yeah, it's, man? It's so wild. Yeah. And uh, number one is going to be Cartman when he goes back in time to 1776. I love that flashback episode. When like I mean it's got Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin. When he kills the messenger boy, and then like the whole having your cake and eating it too. It's kind of a little bit like on the nose here because of our election stuff going on. But it's sort of like two one <laughs> where it sort of talks about conservatives and liberals and how they should fight because that's what makes the country great or whatever. But yeah, no, I, um, I love that. I love that episode. I feel like that's one of the best ones in Cartman. Just like when he like when he goes, I don't want to wait. To be over. and he like slams like he beats the shit out of the messenger boy with that like piece of wood or whatever yeah. um yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> fantastic well, no, it's just because Frankly. like he had, he knows he's in this like dream with no consequences so he just like he doesn't even have yeah, to think amazing. twice about it yeah, i love right, it yeah. yeah it's like i'll kill you yeah that's cool yeah yeah whatever i'm in a flashback right now guys so it doesn't really fucking matter god you could do that with a lot of cartman like flashbacks Right. Not that he even like lives in any type of real world like consequence world because he does so many things where nothing ever actually happens to him. But that one, he just seems so carefree and just like his, it, he just knows he's in a dream. Like he's just so confident that his plan worked of getting shocked with like what was he shock himself with? Like oh, I'm in a dream. I'm in a dream. I'm in a dream. And he, like hits the like thing and falls into like the kiddie pool or something like. Oh, I really don't I really remember 100 in a while. <laughs> but I always remember right. the Benjamin Franklin thing. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on. That's going to wrap up our marquee picks for our best foreigners. We're going to talk about now the new, relatively new movie on Amazon Prime. That's uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's new Borat 2. So um, just to kick it off, a little question. Uh, I kind of related back to our previous episode with Hubie Halloween. So we kind of did Hubie Halloween last week. And I kind of think it's interesting. So it's like two comedians that have sort of aged a bit. And Adam Sandler and Sasha Baron Cohen two guys that sort of decided to rehash some of their characters, whether it's for money or whether it's because they kind of wanted to do it. So Sasha Baron Cohen rehashed Borat after 13 years. And uh, Adam Sandler kind of, if you want to say rehash, kind of did the um, Waterboy character a little bit, but sort of rehashed other cameos, if that makes sense. So I'll we'll ask sort of the same question we did last week. Do you think Sasha Baron Cohen is still funny as he was in the first installment of Borat? And like he kind of like did some stuff between that, like the "This Is America" thing that maybe was a hit or miss, 
Or do you think we're just getting older? Or do you think this movie still holds up and is still as, as funny? And who do you think did it better in terms of sort of like as they age, which movie do you think sort of played the best tribute to their previous comedies? Preston, go for it. Um, as far as who I think did it better, uh, I mean, well, all right. Best tribute back to like past comedies I would give to like Adam Sandler just because there were so many little Easter eggs like we talked about. Um, I mean, I guess you could say there are some, I mean, there's definitely some like tributes, quote unquote, to the first Borat film. If you, if people have seen it, they would, they would definitely know. I mean, just the character itself. I mean, a lot of the uh, things he says, but also like when he's back in, in his hometown with like his family. <laughs> And some of the stuff, like some of those same characters are kind of around still. Um, so that that, that, that was seen like where like he was where like his former producers, like skin was made into the chair. Yeah. And like the tiny dick was both like kind of like a little too not funny, but also still funny at the same time. Yeah. Azamat. Uh, I think. It was yeah. Um, but it's a little. Bit. Yeah, that that was that was something for sure. Um Remind me exactly what the question is here. Are we trying to say like, well, I mean, like, well, in a sense, who sort of rehashed their characters the best and took, like still made it sort of fresh, if that makes sense. Do you think like Borat did it better? Do you think like it maybe like, uh, I can't even maybe think of the words to say it, but like, do, did it still feel like it used to in the sense like back when he was in his prime, like in the, like we sort of talked about yeah, last time, Adam Sandler you. maybe still has like has aged a bit and maybe is sort of directing his audience in a different way. Is Sasha Baron Cohen doing that the same or is he still going for the same target audience? Well, I think he's certainly going for a similar target audience, but I think it's just different. And as far as like 2006, I think when Borat came out, the initial film and to 2020, I mean, the, there's it, it's, we're just living a different time. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen being a very like brilliant comedian and obviously a, uh, uh, a brave comedian and brave actor. I think like to me that I, I just, I just think there's a lot more like skill going on in, in, in his performance and his ability to like still do the Borat character, but also kind of uh, turn it into like, you know, he had he had to improv in a, in a sense and ha he had to use the help of this younger actress uh, to be able to pull off a lot of things yeah. he did because people do know who he is. And I think people obviously recognize him. So and, and you know, of course, doing like uh, disguises and whatnot. But I mean, I think as far as like pulling it off while still being hilarious and all that, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to compare. But I would I would say Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, like achieved a greater feat. But, uh, you know, the well, that's a good point. Like him, him bringing in that new actress, whatever, definitely gave it a new, fresher aspect to it. Joe, last last time when we talked about Hubie Halloween, you were the one who brought up that Adam Sandler's sort of grown up. He has kids. He's sort of making an effort to make his movies more directed so that his kids can see them now. Sasha Baron Cohen isn't in the, that same boat. Uh, I mean, do you think who who do you think sort of like achieving what they want now? Do you think Sasha Baron Cohen, even though he's like he's he's trying to like maybe achieve the same thing? Do you think like he's i don't even know what i'm asking but like do you how, how would you compare the two in terms of like what their goals are in terms of making a film okay with adam sandler he, he's clearly his target audience is going to be it's going to be more family oriented for you know families with kids that are like you know 12 and 13 that can go see this with your dad or their parents 
Whereas Sasha Baron Cohen is now, granted, this is where the Overton window probably has moved a little bit from 2006 <laughs> to 2020 is like what can like, you know, like people in high school can go see R-rated, this R-rated movie probably or have a lot more access to this movie now than they did, say, in 2006. So like he's he can grow his audience that way. But I, th- I still think to a, to a certain degree, Sasha Baron Cohen's target audience has remained the same. It's just that I think more people are going to have access to it to a degree because, you know, it's 15 years later, uh, you know, and it's streaming and everything like that. Where, well, the question know, would be is, it, it, do you think he's reaching them the same way he did in 2006? Then if his target audience is the same, do you think he's still got that same vibe that reaches that same audience? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think the same, the same people who, you know, we're all going to be a little bit older now, but I still honestly think that, you know, kids that are in college and seniors and juniors in high school are still going to think Borat's funny and as they did in 2006. So I think, th- I think he succeeds in that, but you know, I, I it, it's, it, it, I don't think he's cha- very, he, I don't think he's changed the game up that much. So did you find it as funny as the first one and maybe the jokes didn't land as much or is it just because we've gotten older or or do you think that he's changed at all? Uh, I think it was a little, it was a little tired. Um, you know, in the first one, it, it seemed like it, it was a lot of more physical comedy on Sasha Baron Cohen's part. You know, he was out yeah. there in like the, the banana hammock, like running around <laughs> and probably because he's probably been pushing 50, 55 years old now. He's not going to be doing all that. And he's, he's well-recognized. Um, and otherwise, I don't know. It was just like a little stale, you know, like you could always predict like the, you know, like where he was going to go and, you know, like who he was going to go after. And, you know, like, I, I guess I'll be a contrarian, like to press it on this. Like, I, you know, I, I don't think it's particularly brave, like this day and age to go after like dumb, poor people in the South. Like <laughs> that's done on a daily basis, like every hour yeah. on the hour by the hour so you know I yeah don't know. i wasn't like, really just, referring to like that that necessarily I was more so thinking like the uh like going into a national oh, right, right. conference yeah, I got you. going into a national conference dressed up like the president or like uh, <laughs> going to like a very you know that we uh, we know from where we come from those debutante balls are uh you I, like I, that's what i, I want to know how the fuck he got into a debutante ball and and I then what, and then pulled off that stunt. I mean, to me, that like it's well, I, I guess maybe bravery. Maybe bravery is not really the word. It's some or it's so much just like he oh. knows what he's going to do. He's going to pull it off, and he doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks. And and it's just stunning to like see it go down. And when you're watching it, it's it's almost like I mean, it's it's funny, but it's also just like uh like you're just sitting there with your mouth agape because you just can't believe it's happening. <laughs> All right, so, so, so Budge wanted to get into that. Go for it, Budge. Well, I, well, one of the things I want to say before we get into that, I, I kind of want to address your initial question, and it's that, you know, let's be honest. These movies are kind of in different stratospheres. Like, one of the things I stressed that I thought Hubie Halloween was a success was only because my expectations were the floor. <laughs> considering that, Adam Sandler was successful in that movie. It wasn't that good. In fact, he was the worst part of it. But he managed to make an <laughs> enjoyable movie through some cameos and through some ancillary actors, and it was fine. Uh, I think that in that sense, Sasha Baron Cohen hasn't lost his fastball like Adam Sandler has. 
But okay. That being said, I think I prefer what it was. This is America, the Showtime show, a little yeah. more than I than I prefer Borat. I think that when, like we were saying, it goes back to the Ali G and his show. He's, I think he's a little bit better when he has instead of trying to create this narrative like with the plot of Borat, you know, trying to yeah. give present to the vice president. He goes in and sets up. He's like, okay, I want to interview Dick Cheney. I want to interview um, this Georgia state representative, or I want to do a, you know, I've got this idea for like a skit and then like, or a prank and let's pull it. Like, let's go into an art gallery in San Francisco. Let's go into and do a uh, town hall meeting on building a mosque in rural Arizona. Like that to me was way funnier than that. That's, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, that I, that's that's sort of a question I have to get into, but like, uh, Budge, I, I know you wanted to talk about sort of sure. the debutante thing, so go ahead that so before we get into the next such thing. A shock to me, like I, I could not like get over that scene. I thought it was just absurd and ridiculous. So I did like a little bit of research, and I think that one of the things that sort of fascinates me is how he gets people to sign up for this stuff and to sign over, like to get themselves on camera. And so, what happened with the making thing? Was like you said, we we knew, we're kind of familiar with a lot of this process growing up where we did. So he put out a feeler in Georgia, and keep in mind, in Georgia, there's a lot of movie and TV industry. <laughs> yeah, 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 there is. So in making, he said that they were filming a movie, and they wanted to do. It was going to be about a foreign girl who wanted to do uh, go to have like a southern style debutante ball. Like they were from the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia. So basically, what they offered was for a hundred dollars. People could come and kind of take a debutante type class, right? Similar to like, you know, you learn the waltz and you learn how to greet a gentleman and a lady, blah, blah, blah. You know the type I'm talking about. So what they did was you kind of sent in a, you applied. A lot of people did it. And then they came and they, and they said, like I said, they set up, they went and met you for coffee. They brought like two girls who said they were casting agents and they interviewed you and they asked you a series of questions. And they ask you questions like, do you recognize this person? And it would be Will Ferrell. You would say no. Do you recognize this person? It was Sasha Baron Cohen. And they said no. Do you recognize, like, you know, in a series of just sort of questions. And so based on those questions, you got put in different groups. So the first group didn't, they were people who knew who Sasha Baron Cohen was. So then that part was filmed like in the dinner. <laughs> people were people who answered that they did not know who he was. And so they yeah. put their cell phones up when they got there and they had to kind of do the whole thing. So they went in and they were told they were filming this movie, right, about uh, about a girl from the country of Georgia who wants to come to Georgia to do this debutante thing. And they so they had to give up their cell phones. There was like armed security, which they said they thought was a little strange when they're interviewing the people. But they just really just assumed that maybe there was a famous actor. And so. Uh, you know, they really didn't know what they were getting into. They said they had a hard time. A lot of people they interviewed said they had a hard time understanding what Sasha Baron Cohen was asking and really didn't know what he was getting at when he was trying to sell the daughter. But, uh, you know, and then when and a lot of them, when the dancing started, right, like a lot of them just like demanded their money back and left. But he still like it is crazy. I think the process that he goes through to fool these people. Like the well, yeah, yes. so it's in making that got caught twice. They got caught the initial movie and then this one again. I think well, that's that, that's the thing is sort of what I was going to get at in this next question, or whatever is you're right, uh, Budge, in the sense it's almost like 
you write one movie to get people involved and then you write a narrative that's the actual movie. So it's almost like you're almost writing two movies. Like you're writing the setup to get people to like, to be like not suspicious about it. So you're writing almost two separate things. It actually is kind of wild. So uh, what I wanted to ask a little follow-up too, a little corollary that I think will be an interesting tidbit. And this is my, I keep my sources anonymous here when they reach out to buddy, (laughs) but I was told that the girl who, her dad like said something about like kind of buying the girl and they kind of joke and she looks at her dad and she goes, that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> that girl was brought to her standards and her sorority at UGA over, not over appearing in a movie, not over appearing into that, but for using swearing. Yep. For you like, doing what? Dad, did something absurd. Swearing. I'm she sorry. Fine for saying fuck. This, what is so standards? So standard is like, I guess if you're a sorority, you get in trouble for not meeting the standards of the sorority. It's she, a disciplinary committee. So she cussed oh, and they didn't like it? If you're not, okay, if you're <laughs> in the movie, her in Macon, her dad, this girl and her dad are talking with Sasha Baron Cohen. It's Sasha oh Baron yeah, Cohen. I remember this part. This is how we do. And she looks at her dad, the debutante, and says, you're fucking disgusting. Yeah, she calls him <laughs> out. And she was then brought in front of her sorority standards out of all the people that would get in trouble for this, the girl who called bullshit on the whole thing <laughs> for using the F word. Yeah. Oh, wow. Pokey, it would have been, it would have been even worse had she have been standing up smoking a cigarette yeah. whilst saying that. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, all so right, I kind of yeah. want to ask you guys like, because it sort of leads into what kind of Budge was saying, but like, how difficult do you think it is to make one of these types of movies where you're sort of tricking everyone? So, in the first Borat, the end game was to meet like Pam Anderson, but she was actually like involved in the whole plot, right? Mm-hmm. So, it actually did, it, yeah, so it didn't really even like uh, you could sort of like build up to it and trick people along the way, but in terms of the journey, it didn't matter as long as the end game, you sort of knew it was going to happen. But in this movie, the ending completely kind of depends. I guess the ending doesn't, but the climax does. The climax depends on sort of an uncertain interview with Rudy Giuliani or Mike Pence or someone like that. So sort of my question is, like, how structured do you think this was? Do you, How flexible do you think the script was? Do you think it all depended on Rudy Giuliani? Or do you think they had a bunch of other people they were trying to interview and they just sort of like almost threw shit on the wall and to see like what happened, they stuck with it? What, what do you think? Do you think it was all or nothing, or do you think they still had some other like pieces in the puzzle that maybe they dropped? It is 100% but, the latter. They definitely just said, how high can we get in, yeah. in this White House? And then let's just go from there. We may end up getting somebody as low as Steve, Rudy Giuliani, mid-tier as Stephen Miller. We might get Mike Pence. We, hell, we might even get Donald Trump. We play this right. I think it's worth noting here, if you go back and re- watch, like This Is America, the way, like how he gets people like you got uh roger what's his name or john waters the guy from uh who was a congressman that does the uh the missing kids show or america's most wanted you know he like po- he sets up these things he he tells them what they want to hear he goes what he knows what do these people want to do it's like okay so take the the waters guy from um america's most wanted he posed as a conservative jewish group that wanted to give him an honor yeah right? So that like he can use that like kind of and he's thinking I can use that as a endorsement and a run for president. So like he sets up a fake website. He does all those things and they pass to try to pass the smell test and like sees how far he can get. Like I think that's the real genius of Sasha Baron Cohen. 
But it's yeah. to your point, I think they just have a lot of like coals in the fire and they see which one lights. So that, I, I, I feel like almost the original intent was to get Mike Pence, but that failed, and then it fell back onto Rudy Giuliani. Is that, that almost? I bet that like what the goal was to get Donald Trump. Preston, were you going to say that or, or Joe? Well, I mean, just I was just going to go back to like that. What I, I guess when I say brave, like that's kind of what I mean is like he he will do anything and everything for the bit. Like he is he's so yeah. he he like there is no there's really nothing that will stop him from from trying to get to. Uh, you know, person A or person B to either like whether it's an interview or a prank. I mean, that that's what was so genius about the Ali G show. Uh, you know, because it was just it, like no one did that. No one was doing that, and he has literally no shame as as long as like I mean, he definitely has a purpose to a, what to a lot of what he's doing. But like, I think with anything from the Ali G show to to certainly up to this Borat. You know, like there is there is always like a goal to get to someone in power and put them on the spot in various ways. Um, you know, like hold them hold them accountable for something, but you know, do it in a ridiculous, uh, hilarious way. And and I think that's that is the genius of Sasha Baron Cohen and the fact that he can still pull it off. And I and I think that what's so co- like crazy about this one is that it's so much harder for him to do it now, and that he did have to use. Uh, you know, this younger actress, and he also had to basically, uh, I mean, it, it seems like what, what Budge is saying, like, go go to, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C until they're able to get, you know, this footage. And it's just, to me, it's just fucking wild. Like, I, I just, I, <laughs> I could never be a part of such a thing. But, you know, like, even watching it's hard, but he has, he has that ability and he, I guess, you know, doesn't give a shit. Yeah, what do you think, Joe? Or he do really, think, or like, he uh, really does to... give a shit. <laughs> do you think Rudy Giuliani was the end game? Who do you think was like the top prospect, and how far do you think they had to go? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be pretty hard for anybody to get a an interview uh, with anybody above vice president. You know, yeah. because just the rigmarole that you've got to go through to secure that type of interview is going to be, you know, they're going to sniff that shit out pretty quick. Um, and there's also no way he could have like pulled off that sort of like stunt running through like the hallway of the hotel in his like thong or whatever if Mike Pence was involved in that. Like there's absolutely no way. No. So that's what I was kinda like wondering, like you couldn't do that with Mike Pence. So I was wondering like how what's the threshold? I yeah, think like, it so would maybe have you would be, know. Yeah, it would have to be like a you know, like a lower level congressperson. Yeah. Or, you know, like somebody without Secret Service protection that you couldn't that like if, if you got up and started doing some crazy shit that you wouldn't run the risk of getting shot. Or yeah, you know, are like, you forgetting that he did this to Dick Cheney too? He did this to well, a lot of people. Fifteen years ago. Yeah, but he Wilson. was Secret Service. You know, like I, I guess my point is I think that well, what, well that that interview doesn't involve any type of threat though. Like I'm talking about this one where like he sort of like the whole premise was to him to sort of like come in and almost like accuse him of, like some sort of like sexual malfeasance or whatever that would absolutely be ridiculous the dick cheney one didn't that was just sort of like sitting down and talking what i'm saying is like how could you pull off that same sort of stunt what i'm saying is you wouldn't it wouldn't be the exact same stunt i bet their goal was to see if they could get an interview with donald trump and they wouldn't be running through it they would just try to get him to say something absurd and agree yeah well the thing the thing about that is that would probably be pretty easy i I agree Uh, but all i'm saying is (laughs) i just think that like they wanted to see. They threw. They cast a wide net. They sell what they pulled up, and yeah, they had a lot of kick, cooks in the fire. Somebody or a lot of bait out there. If somebody bid on one, they were going to change it to fit that 
person. Okay, well, uh, maybe the better question is, who would you like to see besides Rudy Giuliani do this sort of thing? And then we'll get into, like, the last little bit. Anyone have, like, any type of thing that you'd be like, oh, man, I'd really like to see this person humiliated? Joe? Well, I guess there's one common theme that runs through who all that Sasha Baron Cohen gets. It's anybody that's, you know, to the right of Stalin on the political <laughs> spectrum. So it's going to be anybody conservative. So if, if, if he really wanted to grow a set, it would be pretty funny for him to go and get an interview with like Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar <laughs> and start talking about, you know, like funding Israel and get them on, you know, get them on tape really talking about how like the Jews run the world and like, you know, it's all about the Benjamins and all this stuff. I think that would, be, you know, that may hit the target audience a little bit too below the belt, but it would be fun if he started going after some of these Democratic Congress people from, you know, Somalia and Minnesota or, you know, some of these places in Dearborn, Michigan, what they really think about Jews. I don't think Sasha Baron Cohen would be hopping around there too much. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think he wants to, like, piss off his actual audience too much. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's, but it's it's actually true, though, in, in the sense that, like, he, he includes, like, Jewish humor. Like, even in this movie, though, like, he has this really big segment segment where he goes to uh, – well, what do you want to say? I can't, I can't even remember. The synagogue. So, the synagogue. And then, like, the whole bit is about how he gets comp- – He's excited that they confirmed that the Holocaust actually existed. So it is like, you know, you're right, Joe. Like, you wonder, like, how far I'm sure he actually has in his actual personal thoughts and like conversations are critical about those things, but well, he probably wouldn't include those it's in his all movies. good to go, po- you know, poke fun at the nice old lady at the cake shop who will write, you know, like, Jews won't replace us on a cake. But, yeah. Like, go because she wants to fucking $20. Yeah. About, like, yeah, you you know oh, like man. Zionism and you know like Palestinians get out of our homeland. You see how long you don't get shot. You know I, what I mean? Like I I, I hear you I, and I and I do think I, I did note this down in in Borat. You know I thought that he missed an opportunity to kind of go after some you know to try to see if we could get with some far left people. But I do think it's fair to note and this is America. He definitely still went after uh, lots of figures on the left. He he attempted to get Bernie. Bernie oh, sniffed oh, it out very right. quickly. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know what you're talking about. But he got like when he Bernie. went to L.A. and went to the artist and said he was a like a reformed prisoner and like had like peed and got her to give her pubes like yeah. the the late like the, the curator for his art and was like I love it like that you, that was so good. And then when he was like. Talking about how he wouldn't let his like for this real left wing family, like he wouldn't let his daughter use like feminine hygiene products was outrageous. All right, so um, we kind of talk about that. Do you guys want to talk about the ending? Maybe just like briefly talk about maybe your like your favorite sketches or bits before we move on to the wheel because I do feel like we maybe got a little too deep into a movie that isn't super deep. So maybe just like briefly talk about like what you want to like. Uh, your favorite little tiny bits, whatever. What was the funniest part of this movie to you? Uh, President, like, did, do you think any of these like uh, parts like reached the heights of the previous movie? Like which movie, like which bits of these could have maybe fit into that classic? I mean, I, I still think it, it definitely reached the heights of like the shock value. Uh, I, I mean, there were def there were some parts where I just, again, you know, like, I can't believe he's able to pull off some of this stuff. Um, but you know, the, I will always like the original a little bit more than than the sequel, I guess, if, or whatever he calls it, subsequent movie film. But <laughs> um, 
As far as like favorite parts, uh, you know, I, I know we've already talked about the uh, just the the gall of the of what they did at the debut top ball was I just I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, it's it's so funny that like when they when he went running through CPAC, you know, I remember when that happened, and I remember uh, like three days in a row that uh, people kept being like, "Well, God, the same Trump impersonator has run through here again. He keeps getting in." And nobody, you know, nobody had any clue until when the trailer came out. And you're like, oh, my God, that was Sasha Baron Cohen the whole time. And so, yeah, again, it's just like, how the fuck is he able to pull this off? And people, most people just don't even, like, catch him. Joe, Dude, I think it? that he was in, like, full makeup. I think that they they show him going into the bathroom, yeah. right, and, like, putting on the rudimentary Trump mask. But, like, when he is on the, the CPAC floor and yeah. they, they get a couple of close-up shots of him, he, he is in, like, professional level it's, it's pretty good. makeup. Like, there is not a chance that you could tell that it was Sasha Baron Cohen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you would have to, you know, rip it off of him. Well, and I, and I think that's that's kind of where he's where he's come to in his career if he wants You've to keep, gotta do keep it, doing yeah. this stuff is he has to do it. But, you know, even like some of the other stuff he chose as far as disguises weren't, weren't exactly like, you know, foolproof, I guess. But I mean, he was, he was getting pretty deep into American society. So I guess some of those people just would have no clue, but. Uh, I, mean, I could tell, you could tell like when, when you look at their eyes, like underneath their eyes, like even that had like makeup applied to it and was like blended yeah. in with his mask. And I was like, damn, like that's some heavy metal. Yeah. You know, like, well, and I do, I think it's important though, to talk about some of this as far as, uh, I mean, you know, obviously Sasha Baron Cohen, he he makes the show go, but I I, and I forget her name, but the actress, I mean, she had to stand up there and do some crazy shit like at that, that, uh, oh, yeah. what was that? It was in a hotel. It was like all, all women. The Harris, the Har- that was what I was going to say. My favorite scene was the Harrisburg GOP women's meeting. And she uh, goes yeah, up and starts, so she talks about like how, like she finally, uh, started like figured out how to masturbate or whatever, and like starts going through the whole process in front of them, and they're just kind of, you know, like oh during, my god. While you're, watch- while you're watching the movie, because like you want to think it's a movie in the sense of like you're not really involved in it, but this actually is supposed to be like framed as kind of a documentary, right? Like in in a sense, it's a right? satire. The way they film it, they definitely. Yeah, but what I mean is like it, it's it's kind of filmed as like the the audience. Uh, I mean the 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 two characters are aware that the 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 cameras are there. And so when like, she's actually masturbating, it's actually kind of a weird moment when you step back and realize, Oh, we're, we're kind of involved in this sort of intimate moment with her rather than almost be a traditional film sense. It actually is a little bit weird when you kind of think about it. Uh, but Joe, Joe, what, what were some of your like favorite scenes before we move on to the wheel? My favorite scene was with the, uh, the black lady explaining that like a vagina does not have teeth. <laughs> are not gonna help you like swim like oh they're not gonna God. help you float like when she read that book it. like oh God. she kept it so real with her she's like all right look like i can't like help you more than this but like i did my best and, like all right girl like at least you'll think about it you know like, yeah. like she yeah. did like all she could do was like washing her hands of it and she was when he came back around you could tell she was just like not having it I felt like the fax machine guy like desperately wanted to leave, but he was like, man, I'm stuck in this place from eight till five or whatever from nine to five. So I just have to keep on faxing over and over again. He was, and, like, it was just like, operator. 
Yeah, no, he was just like, I could tell like he just, he really, really wanted to leave, but like he had no escape. So it's almost like Borat trapped him into being in that scene. Like he couldn't, he couldn't get out of it. Other people maybe have like a way to sort of like get out of it. But like, he really, really was just sort of like stuck in that strip mall. I was like, I, I guess I got to keep doing this. This is what well, I'm doing for the day. I think one way, to, <laughs> one way to get out of it is be like Judith, you know? I mean, he was saying some <laughs> vile shit to her and she like totally met him with like love and kindness and it, and it like to- it, in a way it, it like d- destroyed it didn't destroy the bit but it took it to another part it disarmed it and it made it like this really sweet moment and then we all we see at the end she gets like uh you know in in memoriam since she's passed but like i think i think people like her and then even the facts guy who he didn't really say much but he went along with it kind of with a smile on his face you know I, I think with uh, like those kind of people, I, I, to me, I bet Sasha Baron Cohen's like that's kind of like part of why I do this because I do encounter people who are are, are genuine and and they're not so like taken aback by what I'm doing. Like they 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 show their true selves. They're actually great people. Genuine. Well, he puts them in this like weird like dilemma where like this is, is actually just- his job, but he clearly doesn't want to do it. Right? Like so, it's almost like there's no real wrong answer to what he's doing. He's just sort of like relaying the message. So he put the put him in like just an awkward situation. And that's like we said, Preston, in terms of like maybe the genius of Sasha Baron Cohen is finding these instances where he puts people in these awkward situations and they just don't know how to respond. Oh, because dude, he, if he, put it, he is the master of letting people like give themselves the rope to hang themselves with. You know, like uh-huh. he, he will just like throw something out there like, Oh, you like you don't like the Jews and like they'll be like, <laughs> Hell hell no we don't and then they'll just be like, Oh keep going, buddy. You know like, we'll, we'll, we'll see, that's, sort of like, yeah. that's sort of a different <laughs> that's the situation thing is, where like we're bored we're bored we're bored so like naive, right? And so like you like and he sets these people up and think that like, this is only going to be aired on like Kazakhstani television or whatever. So people let their guards down. They'll say whatever the fuck they want. But what I was talking about in terms of like the, the, the facts guy is that he's almost like forced to do it because it's his actual job. Right. Like he's just like, he has to read the facts back to him. Right. He has to fax it to him. The other people he like, like you said, Joe though, like he lets the rope, he leads the rope to him and they do hang themselves. But this guy, like he like literally like, he puts him in an awkward situation and this guy, like he, he doesn't know how to negotiate it. There's like, it's, it's, it's so to me, those are like more awkward, but like, oh, they're yeah. just as funny to me. It's like the TSA agent that finds like, you know, like a, a 13 inch rubber dildo in my bag. You're just like, God damn it. I'm really having to read this telegraph. This guy's ending. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, this is my job right now. And it's, yeah, it's like all about, he, he presents these opportunities. <laughs> He presents yeah. he, he presents these opportunities for people to be you know to kind of like show what's going to happen here and I think yeah the facts guy you, I kept waiting for him to be like I'm sorry what is happening who is this why are we sending this but you know he just kept just doing it and I think you know like be, some other people it's pretty positive that people that people mostly take the easy way out and the easy way out is just to let it go let them read the faxes and just get them out of my store and that's kind of what he did. But like, it's not like a necessarily a bad thing. It's just like that's. I think most people would actually do the same thing. Just especially with a camera in their face, you don't know how to respond because that's the other thing you have to think about is that when these people are doing these awkward things, is there's literally a camera in their face, and like that really amplifies the amount of like anxiety and self awareness they have. So it's sort of like uh, uh, I don't know. 
All right, so we're going to move on to the wheel here. We just finished our discussion on Borat 2. I know we didn't get up to everything, but we're sort of running a little bit late on time. Um, so the wheel questions are, number one, Nathan, punked, or Boratted. Number two, racist, misogynist, or sex creep. Three, do the impression. Four, how long would you last? Six, scripted versus unscripted. Uh, seven, be honest, how catch. <laughs> number eight, whammy. Number nine, let go. Uh, number eight, I believe in a thing called love. And number 10, respin. So here we go. Did I skip the number? I'm going to skip the number. It's not a big deal. All right. Number two. You are no racist. Alex Trebek, Matthew. Mas- what? You are no Alex Trebek, Matthew. I could never reach his level. But uh, racist, <laughs> misogynist, or sex creep. Now, I only listed three, but Borat traps people into revealing a lot of unsavory traits about themselves. Which person maybe in this movie or trait is the most difficult one to recover from in terms of like a public awareness type of standpoint? What do you think, Budge? I mean, there's a couple people here who like revealed themselves are racist. They're like the, uh, the, what do you want to say, the plastic surgeon was pretty creepy. A couple of people were misogynist. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the plastic surgeon is, is certainly up there. I, I mean, I think, you know, it, I think this question might be better phrased is who who kind of had the most to lose yeah. in these. And I think that the plastic surgeon is definitely up there because there's a chance he gets brought in front of some sort of, you know, professional review board uh, and like some sort of ethics problem of like giving someone plastic surgery that clearly didn't want it. Um, I think all, you know, but th- that being said, like the guys in the cabin, you know, they had to look, the, they kind of looked the worst, I guess, but he kind of spent the most time with them. Like, you know, and the fact that they were just kind of like saying outrageous stuff about people being pedophiles and drinking people's blood. And I, if they weren't, if they weren't QAnon, they were Q curious, you know. Uh, yeah, they were uh, very QAnon-y. Uh, but, you know, uh, I guess, you know, like, but that, and that being said, though, you know, debating whether or not it was a tuck shirt or he was grabbing his, his groin, you know, it, Rudy certainly kind of looked foolish being even putting himself in that situation. Right. You know, that's, that's the bigger problem here. I think we're also forgetting is that like when you get Sasha Baron Cohen, it's not a good look because it kind of shows that like you, you, you kind of, you know, you, you, you're kind of dumb. Like, (laughs) right. So I don't don't know. I'm not going to defend Giuliani, but I want to know, like if, if you're that level of politician, how often do you do interviews with foreign journalists in hotel rooms? It's got to be a lot, though, right? You know, because you'll have like a suite and like, I don't know. I just thought that would be more common than like it was it would it, it, you would one would think that that like that's the only common place that y'all would have to meet. Like, I don't know. To be perfectly honest, like I think it, it's sort of more playing off the like the public perception that Giuliani is kind of creepy, which Again, he comes off on TV as sort of a maniac and kind of creepy or whatever. But, like, he really is. He's a single dude. And the woman was kind of th- – well, they could edit that stuff to where she was probably being very, you know – Flirtatious. Advancing, advancing and flirtatious to him, and they take that stuff out. I mean, again, it is kind of creepy in the sense that she's sort of very young and he's sort of old. But at the same time, it's not like it was anything illegal and it's not like anything that was, like, I thought Budge's terrible. point was that, that – sh- how could you allow yourself to be in a in a in a hotel room with a young woman? Yeah. Yada yada yada. And I thought that maybe it, you know, like if there were other people present and you're you know high level you know 
politician or something like that, you, you know, like you have a suite at the Mandarin Oriental, like there's going to be space for you to have like a nice interview where you can get like video and audio. I, I, I thought that that was more common than like what happened. I think, I think anyway. perhaps it is, but it's one of those things that were like, what kind of due diligence did you do? And so, you know, it's, right. it's, I think to your level, if you think that you're of a, of a higher standard, right? Like, you know, you're Rudy Giuliani, you're the mayor of the largest city in the United States. You were a presidential candidate twice. You know, you're a close advisor to the president. In the public eye. Whatever your team, you know, is obviously not Giuliani that, like, does his own due diligence. Like, yep. It's like, you go back and look, and I mentioned this before, but with the, the America's Most Wanted guy, like, they set up a fake website, and it was just like, they had asked someone, they were like, oh, they just went to the website, but they didn't get anybody who read Hebrew to take a look at it. And if you had read it in Hebrew, it like was a clue that this was not legitimate, right? They just saw, oh, it's a real website. Right. So like, mm-hmm. it just shows you like what your due diligence process is. And it's like, you know, Rudy, like if you're that, you know, and I guess the, the thing I think I'm saying is you get to a certain level, you've got to, got to be able to see through some bullshit or at least someone on your team does your staff. Right. I That's think we are giving, uh, I think we are giving Rudy Giuliani way too much credit and way too much benefit of the doubt. I mean, this, this guy is about as as low or bottom of his career as I think he's ever been. I don't think it's Giuliani, I mean, Giuliani, Giuliani and due diligence don't go hand in hand. I bet they literally all they said was probably, hey, we've got something on uh, Biden and you in Ukraine or something. And he was all about it. I mean, like he's the guy is practically in other countries with a magnifying glass searching for nothing and just being fucking crazy. <laughs> So I mean I, I just don't I don't I don't think it was that hard to get Rudy Giuliani to do an interview. I'm sure they baited him with something some kind of conspiracy theory or something like that and he was all about it. And you know, I mean also he's at this point, I mean the guy's like drinking every day. I mean he's sitting there with a the scotch. He's known for having plenty of affairs and and sketchy relationships. So Again, I think the point I don't is think that like if, if he was really pulling his cock out like with some female journalist, like he'd be in prison by now. <laughs> I think that was the point. Uh, I mean, he's I don't even know it, how much of a cock there was possible. to pull out. He's probably just shifting it around. Right. I, it wasn't he was laying back on the bed and he was saying he was tucking his shirt in and I'm like, nah. That's a little weird to begin but, with. I think, I think it's obvious he wanted to have sex with this woman. The debate is kind of like, was it a, a wrong thing for a sec- 60, 70 year old man to sort of have sex with a 25 year old woman? Yeah, like 12. It, is it a problem? It's creepy. He's yes, also, is it actually illegal? 10 no, years older than that. Oh, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, We're going to spend he's the like real, 76. I think we can all agree that he's uh, uh, a, a creep. I don't know if it's illegal or not, how embarrassing it is, because he's already sort of reached the dregs of embarrassment as far as I'm concerned. Um, all right, so do the impression, number three. Um, maybe you can't pull one off your off the top of your head, but choose one of your favorite lines in a movie and try to deliver it in the Borat voice, because I sort of get stuck on this one line that I always think is perfect in the Borat voice, and it's from Indiana Jones and it was the Lost Ark when that that guy who's the other archaeologist, the French archaeologist, has got Marion trapped in the tent and he wants her to sort of like wear that dress. And he says that I'd very much like to see you in it. And it, like it always to me sounds like sort of like a thing Borat would say. So is there any like type of line that you could think of off the top of your head that would be perfect for Borat to say? I've got one. Go for it. Go for it, Budge. Well, uh, there, I'll let you go, Preston. 
ahead. Uh, I don't know why it just came up to me, but uh, we're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a great line in the movie Gator with Burt Reynolds and uh, Jerry, Jerry Reed, and he plays Jerry Reed plays a guy named Bama McCall, and he and and Jerry. sort of. Burt Reynolds alludes to the fact that he had spent some time over and, you know, he'd been asked to do a job over in kind of the black side of town. And Jerry Reed, he says, you always was colorblind, Gator. <laughs> but that was a bit Joe, you got of Jamaican there. I know. I, I was... lost it there at the end. It's just, I couldn't help but laugh. Come on, Joe. There's no uh, perfect impression. I've, okay, I all like right. Joe's well, going to get a good let me set this up for you. Okay. Uh, all right. So we're we're in space and everything is shit has hit the fan and Borat is in the command module with um, with Kevin Bacon and Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> and <he> says, <laughs> Houston, we has a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why for a second. Like, oh, why, why we, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like you know he, he hits something. Yeah, the the CO two canister flies across the thing. It's like oh, oh god! Finally get the oxygen. He's like, oh, great success! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone claps down in Houston. All right, we got one more, right. and then we'll rate the movie. Solid. Sorry, Preston, for cutting you off. All right, number five: scripted versus unscripted. Um, which were the most authentic moments in the movie for you, and which ones did you think were part of the gag? So, like last time, the, the first movie, it was revealed after the movie came out that some of that stuff was a part of the gag. Which ones do you think actually kind of were a part of the gag? Which ones were sort of unscripted to you? Like, which ones felt the most real and authentic? Maybe which ones sort of felt like maybe you were leaning towards that he maybe had pre-prepped them? Uh, I'll hop in here and say that I kind of mentioned this earlier. But I thought it was hilarious when uh, Borat and his daughter go into the uh, the pastry shop in Texas and start asking about the cakes to make, and they get that chocolate cake made. It says Jews will not replace us, and without batting an eye, that lady just like <laughs> scrawls that out on the you know on the cake and like displays it in the little glass case like so other people I was like <laughs> is, is she like a complete airhead or I, I don't know like it, it's just it was stuff like that where you're thinking like does she know what she's doing you're like where you're really like at a loss as to whether or not like they think it's okay or do they even really know what like they're doing you know what I mean like because when, the, because when you watch that, this you have to actually realize that there are cameras on these people like it's it, that's the other thing too is that like so, so these people man. are doing this yeah after signing a nda or well, not nda whatever some type of a a, a release agreement yeah. release and then um they there's literally cameras on their face so they're still doing this with those things obviously happening beforehand so it's kind of like weird but go ahead Preston. well yeah i mean i agree i feel like that one was that was probably the easiest like the most biggest softball that he threw out there. Like, he, I mean, you're writing that. Wouldn't you just be like, wait, what, wait, what is this? You know? But anyway, um, uh, as far as like, so I, I didn't realize that they released that there were gags, uh, like planned gags. I did. So I don't know which ones those are. Uh, do you know some off the top of your head, Matthew? No, no, I don't know at all. I just know that in the previous one, like obviously Pam Anderson was involved. Oh, and later, sure, yeah. a year later, they knew that 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 was involved. Like, so they kind of released some of that stuff as involved. 
I, I just was curious if you guys thought some of those, these things felt a little bit more planned or maybe a little bit more scripted, maybe a little bit more edited is a be- better way of saying it, right? Like in terms of did you think that like some of it was less authentic than it was? I think for me, if that's if that's the, you know, the the structure we're in here, I guess I I think that the, I thought maybe the cabin – they yeah, to that's the so, one that I thought. Like, it felt a little it. too much. So if that's he what, was there, that's what I was gonna. He stayed for fourteen days. Okay, that's you know, what I was like, gonna was ask. Sick. Right? How long yeah, was so, he like, there? How did, how did it, like so? It just felt a little random for him to be at a liquor store and asking someone, "Can I stay at your house?" And then he became like best. Like that. That felt just a little too weird. And not only did like he stay there, but then they, like they wrote a song and that advanced the plot to where. He got up on stage. Like it, it, yeah. it really did feel a little so, too scripted. Speaking of because it song, really it was a part of the plot. Like speaking of the song, I remember when that happened. Like you mentioned, Preston, that I, I noted in my notes here. I was like, I do not remember him interrupting CPAC or anyone. Like I, that kind of shocked me. So I was wondering. If the, I kind of thought to myself, I wonder if the beginning of that was staged because I don't remember this some bitch. I don't remember there being this big interruption at at CPAC. Uh, I do remember that song though, and that went around like. Uh, inject him with the Wuhan flu, Obama <laughs> too, and I like that. I remember, and then I was like, "That's going to be." I thought that was going to be the second season of This Is America. I remember when it came out. That's like that's clearly Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, yeah, but you know, to to your point though, uh, I guess like, and that's why I wonder, like, are we going to find out? Because like a lot of this didn't really seem so staged. Like I, the making thing seemed staged to me because I was like, "This is so ridiculous." But I did a little research on it because I was so shocked. Turns out it was real. That I just can't. That one, I cannot believe that one. I I won't say it's staged. I will just say that like I don't think that like moment where he asked him, "Oh, can I stay with you?" is one hundred percent authentic because I think he almost like he almost had this already planned that he was going to stay with these guys for 14, 14 days or whatever. I'm not saying the whole thing is staged. I'm just saying that, like, it didn't feel completely, completely authentic is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, I, like, for sure. I mean, yeah, like, how much of it was... Uh, um, and they kind of edited it down to the point where it almost... He tried to almost make it manipulate to the point where it's staged. Uh, I mean, not staged. I, uh, what I, you wrote, say, Joe? I wrote this down, and I don't know if y'all noticed it, but, like, did y'all notice how ridiculous the monkey pornography was? <laughs> Wait, which one was that? Like, like he just would like he talked about how that monkey was like the greatest film star in Kazakhstan. I like, love that. His like movies, and I was like, this, I, I was like stunned at how graphic it was. Like, I was like, I can't believe. This so, I mean, are you talking about? The, are you talking about also the book where he showed the guys in the cabin about like birthing of men, um, birthing of boys versus girls? No, well, and he showed the, like it showed like a, a guy, a, a woman getting like double teamed by two Kazakhstan doctors, like one dude doing anal with her and one guy like getting blown by her while she's like bending over. And then she's also like having a baby at the same time. It's like, that's what doctors do in Kazakhstan. Oh, like God. they both give mouth and anal and then blah. Like it was like, it was very, very like very graphic, but very quick at the same time. And like, to their credit, they're like, this is fucking ridiculous. Uh, even though they said tons of other ridiculous things that were uh, beside the point. But no, you know, I, I, that was the one sort of like thing that I thought was maybe a little bit staged was just how he manufactured the time to spend with those two guys in the cabin. Because he also clearly the way to get on the stage to sing that song, he had to have that song maybe pre-prepared. He couldn't have just said like, 
because the way they edited it made it seem like that those guys wrote the song for him. If that makes sense, or or the, I think, like they knew the they knew like the licks to play. He yeah, like, he clearly music? wrote the song. Yeah, I think that's obvious. But the way they edited it made it sound like he like got the song from them, and I think that was a little bit manipulative. Um, all right, so what we're gonna do? We're gonna move on to our ratings for this movie. This was Borat two. We're gonna. I mean, some of these maybe don't apply. I don't. Even, there's not too much music involved, um, but. Preston, we're going to start with you in terms of acting. So acting definitely is heavily involved. Like Sasha Baron Cohen has to do so much stuff to convince people that he's real. Obviously, the other, I can't even think of her name, but the female lead has to do the same thing. What are you going to give for the acting on 25? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what you just said is is kind of the reason I'm going to give it a pretty high number is because, I mean, he is acting like to the most literal sense. Uh, and he's able to pull off so many stunts and pranks. Um you know, that it's just, it sometimes it just seems impossible. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give acting a, let's see, probably a 23. And also the actress, she was she was great, too. She was a good uh, sidekick, I guess you could call her. Yeah, it'd be actually really interesting to see how her career develops. Joe, what do you think on uh, 25 acting? Uh, you know, I, I think it's time that we put... Borat to bed. It's getting a little tired and get a little played out. <laughs> I'd say the acting is fifteen. Fifteen. Oh God, Budge. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, this is this will be my highest marks in the category just because um, of the stones it takes for him to keep kind of a straight face and to keep up the bit. So, and then also a really big shout out to um, the supporting actress here that speaks volumes that we don't even know her name, but. Uh, <laughs> I think, Twenty, all right. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree with Preston. Like, I, I can't imagine myself being in the situations where you have to sort of keep a straight face so much. It's a different type of acting, but it's still a crazy amount of acting. All the same, I'm gonna give it twenty three. So, Preston, we're round back up to you. The music. I don't know how much this was involved in the film, so either it's hard to sort of categorize and give an actual full assessment. But hey, this is what we're doing. So, out of twenty five, what are you gonna do? Uh, yeah. I mean. I think you've got kind of the what I, I have no clue, but the, the what is kind of considered the Kazakhstan, like traditional type music that always comes on. <laughs> uh, there was one song that I used to play this and like we ended up doing a bit with uh, like my students when I taught in Korea. Uh, it was this song called Gummy Bear and I heard it in the soundtrack and I was just like, what the fuck? Like I thought this was. I didn't know anybody knew this song. Um, and I just looked up an interesting tidbit. Uh, the person who did the score and who does a lot of work with Sasha Baron Cohen is his younger brother, Aaron Baron Cohen. Um, so for what hey, it's worth, he is a... Uh, <laughs> huh? Aaron Baron Cohen? Aaron Baron Cohen. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's actually E-R-R-A-N. So. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the music, you know, it's there. It, I think it's just more whimsy than anything. I'll give it like a 17. Okay. Joe, what do you think? Uh, you know, it, it, it was one of those where the score really didn't play that big of a role in the film. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to give it a high mark. Uh, so I'm going to go 17. But if I had to pick a replacement category, I would say it would be the makeup and the costume. All right. So, Budge, uh, music, music uh, again, 
it wasn't great. You don't really remember it. And a lot of it's like kind of Kazakhstan, Pravda or whatever their, you know, um, TV station was. But uh, the song, the Wuhan flu song, you know, the kind of with the bluegrass tune was catchy uh, and also ridiculous. And it, and it got some laughs. I hate that it kind of got leaked beforehand because uh, I would have yeah. laughed way harder when I heard it. Um, but I will say that I, for that reason, I'm going to give it a 10. And that'll yeah. I will say I, I will say I 100 agree with Buds in terms of the Wu and Flu song was incredibly catchy, and one of the wheel questions was going to be would you sing along with it if you were in the live audience because it is almost so catchy that like if you didn't know you were being filmed or recorded that you almost actually sing along with it. I, I'm not ashamed to admit that maybe I would have myself, even though I don't believe the lyrics. It's just one of those things where music overpowers you, and it was actually really really. Just like one of those, I will say, Sasha Baron Cohen has a way of making very, very catchy lyrics and songs. So I'm going to give him a 20. Uh, so we're going to move on to characters and characters. And we're going to incorporate makeup involved in terms of how these characters disguise themselves. So, Joe, what do you think about the characters and how they disguise themselves? Would it have been unbelievable to you? You know, I, I think that they had, you know, as we discussed earlier from the 2006 film, they knew that they were going to have to step their game up with, you know, disguising Sasha Baron Cohen so that the general populace wasn't going to be like, oh, well, this is the, you know, the dude from the hundreds of millions of dollars grossing movie from 10, you know what I mean? So in, yeah. it, with that in mind, I'm going to give it a 22. 22. All right, Preston, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of right there with him. I mean, as far as like general characters go, I mean, I think having his, uh, it's his daughter, right? It's supposed to be his daughter. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, adding a new character like that was, was a great uh, change, um, you know, a good or a good replacement for Azamat and the, and of course the bear, Oksana. But, uh, I, you know, I'm going to go with like a, a 21. I think Borat, just the character itself, still still holds up pretty well enough to to get like a good rating because it's you know pretty original would you what do you think budge characters yeah echo? i mean I, I, would I'll, you have been fooled i'll echo well no i wouldn't have been i, I will just say that i think no, while i don't know budge. We would notice Borat, Borat <laughs> running around um i like i said uh, you, you take a look at the you read those articles and the guys talking about the process they answer that question. They did not know who Sasha Baron Cohen was. Now, granted, they're like our parents' age and maybe slightly younger or slightly older. I don't think if Borat was running around that either of my parents would recognize him. Uh, that being said, though, we would and I would. Uh, and then that and like and, and like Joe said, they did a really good job with the makeup, like particularly when he goes in the synagogue. I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I, and for that, like that's where it's going to get get the marks for me, like. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 15. Wilson, th they were making fake websites and all this other stuff. I mean, that's pretty much what the CIA I, did in Argo I, I to get, I, to, to get him out. I, I wouldn't be fooled by Sasha Baron Cohen. I would be. I, I don't think I would be fooled by Borat. I, I <laughs> no, not the character himself. No, Borat. No. I'd recognize. Him. I just I, mean that if they were, if he came with this, like you know, if if if. Uh, like his crew came with this backstory and you never met Sasha Baron Cohen up until the day of filming and all that stuff. It could be, it could get dicey, bro. I think uh, some, some like Colonel Sanders yeah. motherfucker yeah. in some like seersucker suit coming up to Wilson or excuse me. Sorry, budge. 
<laughs> offering him like a free lunch or something to see what he's going to say. And we'll see what happens maybe and in a month. Me for a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we may All not right. get bare. Or for my boat. <laughs> All right, no, I, I, I'm going to give this, uh, like I said, I think this is the best part. I think it was a great part, um, addition to add the daughter to it. I did think some of like the backstory of her character was just a little too, I hate using the word on the nose, but I thought it was just a little too stupid. But So I'm going to give it a 20 in that regard. Um, so we're going to move on to the plot. Uh, Preston, what do you think about the plot before we move on and finish out the whole rankings? I mean, this is kind of hard. How do you really rate this as a plot? I mean, like it's. It's because in this movie, it's like one part pranks and like kind of reality show ish a little bit. Yeah, you got to give it within the context of the whole yeah. the whole genre. And then the I next guess is kind of what Budge was talking about for the Hubie Halloween. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, see, I mean, I think this is a really well done film altogether, and it and it served its purpose. So, like in that regard, I'm going to give the plot uh, a a twenty two. Okay, Joe, go for it. Joe, I hate to be to be the uh, contrarian here, <laughs> but like I kind of felt like the plot was a little lacking. Like you know, I couldn't really. It was hard for me to stay engaged with the film because I kept forgetting what the hell he was trying to do in America. You know, yeah, like, he was just fumbling around, and it, it felt very disjointed, and you never really got a good sense of like an ultimate goal or an ultimate destination for the film. I will so agree with that. A, I'm going to give it like a fifteen. Budge, what do you think? Yeah, I, actually, my score is a 15 as well, Joseph. But I, And I think that while it does kind of seem meandering and bumbling, I think that's kind of the point because they really didn't know what they were going to ultimately do. I think it kind of depended on who they were able to get, you know, as far as administration um, members. But I will say the stuff that I did, the, my biggest knocks come at the very end when they try to make it a big thing about how to like undermine American integrity across the world via Kazakhstan for some perceived insult. Uh, you know, that was just like, was oh spread COVID, right? Wasn't that it? Yeah, and they yeah. Just, yeah, spread COVID too. Yeah, like, I, I, over even so, like I just thought that was like okay, I roll. I think it is interesting, like that you say how they they just go out and get all these bits, and then I, I like now I'm just kind of seeing it like they at the end they're like all right let's string this together and somehow form a plot, and you know they they basically try to work with what they got. Well, yeah, you know I think that's sort of how those movies work is like he sets a beginning and sort of an end, and you sort of like can do things on the journey, but like as long as you sort of have those two structured beginnings and ends the the film works the story works or whatever um so yeah i, I i'm i didn't like again i'm gonna agree with budge in this I, I really did not like the the very end in terms of how it ended with the whole COVID 19 kind of thing and also i thought it was very disjointed in the sense that it didn't actually sort of lead up to the giuliani thing it almost felt like it was just kind of happenstance how that sort of happened like it wasn't actually a build-up to that it even though they kind of made it sound like that, but it really wasn't. I'm going to give it an 11. Um, so that's going to wrap up our rankings for Borat 2. And we're going to move on to next week. We're going to actually do an Iron Bowl special. So if you guys don't know, all of us are big Auburn and Alabama fans. Joe and Budge are huge Alabama fans. Me and Preston are big Auburn fans. We're going to have our get, uh, guest friend, Sim Penton, on, who you'd recognize from our review from The Rock. He's going to be on. He's a huge Auburn fan. And we're going to review, what is it going to be, Budge? Was it the movie? Midnight Special, starring Michael Shannon, uh, Adam Driver. Um, Sam Shepard. 
Sam Shepard. Oh yeah, I forgot he is in it. Um, and it is currently streaming on Netflix. Just got put back on there, so our loyal listeners can find it easily. No extra charge. Fantastic. 